we are grateful to be together and in our time in Philippians. Uh, I have truly enjoyed our time in Philippians. We'll be in Philippians 3, 12 through 21 as we're going to continue to look at what Paul wants to encourage the church in Philippi with. Uh, and this morning, we're going to kind of look at what is a mature or a healthy Christian, or as we've, from Paul's language, a heavenly citizen look like. Uh, Paul's going to have some encouragement for us in that. As we talk about some of these things, and as we look at, as Paul expresses what it looks like to be mature, it's important for us as followers of Jesus uh, to recognize that we are all in process, and that even though Paul might share something, uh, it's not, most of us have not already attained it, and we'll get to that. But I just even want everybody to be able to take a deep breath this morning, uh, and hopefully all of us can help relax into the arms of Jesus and to know, like Paul has taught us so far, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on until the day of completion. But as followers of Jesus, together we want to join God in his work of that, that's working out of our salvation in fear and trembling. So we're going to look at a few different areas this morning which Paul highlights as what it looks like to be a mature heavenly citizen. If you're a note taker, I'm gonna, we're going to kind of walk through five areas. The first one is going to be that mature Christians or mature heavenly citizens remain in awe of Jesus. The second one is that mature Christians are self-aware. Mature followers of Jesus are self-aware. Third, mature Christians are willing to lay their differences aside and cling to Jesus and the gospel above all. Mature Christians, mature apprentices, mature followers of Jesus, mature heavenly citizens, they learn from other people. They learn from other examples. And then finally, mature heavenly citizens eagerly wait and trust in what will one day be completely true. So with that, I, I want us to dive into our passage this morning as we read Philippians 3, 12 through 21. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory and their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we ask that you would teach us this morning. Lord, give us hearts that are receptive, ears to hear. 
bodies that are willing to respond and act. But Lord, we all come together this morning from various places. And we're all in different spaces, perhaps with you, on our journey toward maturity. But we thank you that you meet us right where we're at. That you are a God that so loves us that you didn't wait for us to church ourselves up. You didn't wait for us to say the right things, necessarily. That you meet us right where we're at and you love us so much to draw us forward. And to grow in you. And so Lord, help us this morning. Help me. And Jesus, we even at our start, we just recognize and declare there's no one like you. There is none like you. That Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We ask for each of us that once again you might spark awe wonder, delight in the reality of who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to start with our first point. And this one's, um, this one's sandwiched at the start and at the end of our passage today. And that's that mature citizens of heaven, mature followers of Jesus, are in awe of Jesus. Paul starts by understanding that Jesus has made him his own. That he belongs to Jesus. If you think back to our John 15 passage, there's this beautiful dichotomy of that, or this beautiful pairing where we are with him and he is with us. And for Paul, as he talks about this maturing piece, what's foundational to him is that he belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the start, the middle, the end. We've already walked through with Philippians that how, how Paul considers everything, both the good and the bad parts that have happened throughout his history, he considers them all dung or, or rubbish in comparison to what knowing, being with, being known by Jesus. And Paul ends this section with recognizing what Jesus will do by recognizing who Jesus is, that he is the one that beat death, that he is the one that has rose from the grave. And because of that, we too can have faith and trust that one day this is our future, future as well. And that our bodies will be restored. Our bodies will be risen to the newness of life. It might be challenging for us to see as clearly as I think Paul would make it formational for us and foundational in our passage that if Christians and citizens of heaven are to be mature, it starts with and it necessitates an awe of Jesus. And I feel like perhaps we might be able to encourage one another a little bit this morning by maybe doing a little bit of, of, of share time, I would love to hear from a handful of you, what are the things that make you in awe of Jesus? Why are you in awe of Jesus? Let's share for a moment. His unconditional love. 
Amen, he's greater than the infinite. What else? This creation, it's nuts. It's nuts. When we were in Costa Rica, I was, especially right now, since everything is, seems like it's dead and dying around us, it's just like, it, it's like, <laughs> It's like everything is growing everywhere. I mean, you've got like these beautiful trees growing out of a crack of a roof. I mean, it's like, it's nuts. It's green everywhere. What else? What else makes you in awe of Jesus? Yeah. The fact that he willingly went to the cross on our behalf. What else? Yeah. He's in every little detail. What else? I know there's more. Amen. Yeah. Right? Like what Paul, yeah, it's so good. What Paul shares with us in Philippians 2, that he took on flesh. He became human. He was humble. He was obedient. Isn't that wild? God being obedient. Served. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. 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 That's right. As Hebrews talks about, he's the great high priest, right? He knows our suffering. so good yeah I think along with that Karis I love that he's not shocked you know like I don't think Jesus has ever had a face pull moment with me because he's that high priest because he came in the flesh he's not shocked like I he, he can be saddened but he's not shocked I start with this with this portion of being in awe of Jesus because it is this awe of Jesus that compels Paul. It's the foundational piece to why we would live our lives differently because ultimately Jesus is better, greater than all other things. And I will also say, I do believe, especially if something becomes really familiar to us, there are times where being in awe of something that is familiar becomes more and more difficult as time moves on. It can if we are not regularly reminded of the beauty, the glory, the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the empathy that Jesus holds.
And I think for us in a day and age where there is so much noise, there is so much invitation to be in awe of so many other things, there is a call to come under Jesus and be in awe. Not so that I could produce, but that I could be in awe of who Jesus is and in what happens when we begin to be enamored with, in awe of, overcome by, we begin to be changed by. Which is how the rest of these pieces that we'll talk about this morning will, will fit into the puzzle as growing in maturity. Mature citizens of heaven are in awe of Jesus and legitimately, friends, if you get nothing else this morning, may the Lord invite you to once again be in awe of him. Would he engage with you? Would you engage with him? Watch a sunset. Slow down. Pause. And let your hearts be enamored once again with the amazing love, the amazing beauty, the amazing grace of Jesus. Our next point this morning is that mature followers of Jesus, mature citizens of heaven are self-aware. This is one that all of us have blind spots, but I love that we get to see something like this from Paul. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead. Paul is very aware. What are, what are, the things that, what are, what are some of the things you see in here that Paul's aware about? What is he self-aware about? What do you see? Absolutely. Yeah, he's not there yet. He's on a journey. I think this is so important for me, somebody who has been studying God's word for a long time. It's, it's so valuable to be reminded that even these people who God used to do these amazing things, they're not like, I've arrived. I've got it. I'm the bee's knees. They're still on a journey. There are a few things that he's also communicating here, and he's speaking in to perhaps some bad ideologies that do exist within perhaps the church in Philippi and a mixture between the Judaizers, and that is the idea that you can achieve perfection by following the law. There is a speaking against that as well. But Paul's also being sincere. I haven't done, I'm not, I haven't made it there yet. And friends, I just, I, I know this is, this is dumb, but I, I think we all need to be so aware of how often we can accidentally communicate, I've got it all handled. I'm good. I've arrived. And if you don't think you have, I just invite you to invite somebody close to you in your life to give, you, give them permission when you sound that way. <laughs> to say, hey, that sounds like somebody who says, I've arrived. 
Doesn't mean we can't learn. Doesn't mean we can't be confident in who we are in Jesus. But I have seen time and time again this need for people to feel like they have to prove to everyone around them that I got it. I'm good. And friends, that is not the way of Jesus. Jesus was good for us so that we could take on his yoke, that we could walk with him. We cannot do it on our own. Paul's self-aware that he is not already perfect. He hasn't ceased making mistakes. And nowhere does he ever claim to be throughout Scripture, just so we're clear. One of the other things he's self-aware about here that maybe we could overlook is he uses an important term as he addresses them. What does he call them? Brothers and sisters. He's aware that he's a part of a family. He's not a lone wolf. He's not in this by himself. He's aware that as he put his faith in Jesus, like John talks about in John 1.12, that to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. He is now part of a family. You see this familial heart from Paul in this section. Brothers, it's not just a generic greeting. It's actually he is identifying with them as family. He's self-aware of who he is, including his flaws. He's aware of what Jesus has done and his continued need for him and the family he's now a part of. So with an understanding of who Jesus is, who I am, he now presses on. Forget what lies behind and strains toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is... uh, we allow him to to, he takes us into plenty of places of tension because for Paul the, the, the goal is salvation the goal is this resurrection this goal is being with Jesus and And you might ask the question, well, isn't he already saved? Isn't he already with God? Isn't this already true? And there's this awesome tension that Paul drags us into that says, yes, and it's going to continue to happen. This is like the message we talked about a while ago in the working out your salvation in fear and trembling. Whose job is it? God's job? My job? And it's, of course, God is the one who's working. Paul knows. Who does he belong to? He belongs to Jesus. And yet, there is this this call to strain together, to move forward together as one who is self-aware, working toward the goal of finishing strong. Now, I feel like it's important to maybe pause here because we might read a passage like this when it says, forgetting what lies behind. And we might, we, some people might read this and say, yeah, I'm never to deal with the stuff that has happened in my past. Forgetting what lies behind, like, okay, that just means, like, I just have to ignore it, bury it, do whatever, and all I have to do is focus forward. And I would say, this is not the proper application of a passage like this. Paul is not saying your past doesn't matter. Paul is not saying that you don't have to deal 
with the way that you were a jerk to your wife the other day. You don't have to deal with the way that your dad was a jerk to you. You don't have to deal with the way that this X, Y, and Z. He's not saying that at all. What he is saying is, as followers of Jesus, we must not let that past keep us from continuing to press on together toward the goal. Toward living out the gospel in our day-to-day lives. Scripture would not be saying, don't deal with the past, don't engage with the past. That is not, all throughout Scripture, most of the Jewish faith is built off of the tradition of, do what? Remember what your fathers have told you. It's a look back. We celebrate Jesus. If I'm not mistaken, that was like over 2,000 years ago. We remember the past. We look back. But we do not let us, we do not let it keep us from continuing to move forward toward the goal, together. Each of us have a past. And the beautiful thing about our God is that our, even our past is possible to be used for his glory if we trust God with it. It doesn't mean there's not pain. It doesn't mean that there's not hardship. But we can let the past, both good things and bad, get in the way of us moving forward. I know at least for me, I I think when we talk about forgetting what lies behind, oftentimes we have a tendency to, at least I do, maybe think about some of the challenges, the hardships, or the painful moments, which it might include. But just so you know, Paul is absolutely including the good things of the past, too. We've seen this in our culture today, right? We have people who are wanting to return to a former, a former day where it's like, let's go live in the heyday of the way things were. And then we have other groups of people who are saying, what do you want to go back to that heyday for? There was so much pain. There was so much hardship. We got to face it. And we have these two camps that either say, let's return to it, relive it. And we have this beautiful view of it. And we have another group that says, this is all painful. We're not going to engage with it. Or we have to take it down, whatever it is. We don't have a people who are secure enough and who, generally speaking, secure enough of who we are in Jesus where we are allowed to look at the past honestly, both the good and the bad, and invite that Jesus that we're in awe of to be present in the midst of it, to face whatever might be there. But both good things and bad things, according to Paul, they can get in the way of us moving forward. For example, there, there might be a moment where you said, I, I've noticed this with people as they, as they age. This isn't, I don't know that many people who do this because I mean, we've got Bob on our elder team who's retired. This is not the way he operates. But there are, there are times where people will say, hey, I've put in my work. Now it's time for me just to play. I've put in my work or I've, I've done all of these things and now it's time for me to play or do whatever I want. And and. I think Paul would urge us and say, hey, just because you did all of these good things, it doesn't mean that you no longer have a job or a responsibility to carry out the name of Jesus wherever you're at. Just because I talked to somebody when I was 13 about Jesus and by God's grace he gave his life to Jesus doesn't mean that I no longer am called to proclaim the name of Jesus to my neighbor. There's an invitation Not to ignore the past, but to make sure that we don't 
grab hold of the past so tightly that it prevents us from moving forward step by step with Jesus and step by step with our brothers and sisters as we move toward maturity together. Mature heavenly citizens are committed to the gospel above all other convictions. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything in you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This, this, this is one is interesting for me because sometimes, like we're going to go through Romans uh, coming up in the fall. We're going to start there. Uh, but sometimes I can view Paul as like, like hyper narrow. Like, like, like everything's a, like I'm not a box person. Very, some of you are like, yeah, I know. Um, but like sometimes I view Paul almost, and this is, this is wrong, but like I, sometimes I almost view him as a stick in the mud. Like he's going to be ready and willing to potentially cut ties no matter what if there's like slightest differences of things. And here again, we get to see Paul's heart. And, and it's almost like he, he just acknowledged, hey, there's going to be differences among you guys. There's going to be differences. Absolutely. But you need, we need to be unified under what, what we have attained, that salvation through Jesus, that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And Paul is wanting to make sure that we are committed to Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. We must hold true to Jesus above all else. Immature, heavenly Christians, citizens, brothers and sisters, make sure not to divide over issues that are not central to the gospel of Jesus. Paul even suggests that if we have a disagreement, in essence, go, go to the Lord about it. Talk to God about it. Perhaps go to your brothers and sisters about it. And God will, God will bring to your mind that which is most important. And as we mature, and as we see throughout this, this is not just individualized to, it's not a me thing, it's a we thing. This Paul is writing to the Philippian church that we would grow in these areas, that we would mature in, this, in these spaces. And we each individually have responsibility but that moves us to our, our next spot, is that striving together, or as we strive together, mature heavenly citizens, they learn from others and allow others to learn from them. Paul, once again, uses the familial language, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. If we're to grow as mature citizens and as mature followers of Jesus, there is this really important aspect of learning from other people. Paul already chiefly gave us the example of Jesus in, uh, in uh, Philippians 2 and the Christ hymn. And we're to follow this example of humility. But Paul also knows that each of us are living in a certain time, in a certain place, with a certain group of people in which we are called to strive together with and to learn from. 
I love in this, because normally I, I read something like this, and Paul, I think, oh, Paul's just inviting people to do just exactly like I do. Again, a few weeks ago, we talked about this, and yet Paul is not calling them to travel to Macedonia. He's not calling each and every one of them to leave the city in which they live. He's not calling each and every one of them to get on a boat. That's not what he's calling all of the people to do. So he's not inviting everybody to do exactly the very same things in which he's doing. But he is inviting people to follow the posture. He is inviting people to take what and how Paul is choosing to live his life and apply it in the space in which they're living. And Paul is also opening up the category to who they can follow, who they can learn from. Paul isn't just saying, just follow me. At the end of this, he's saying, look around at the example that is set by us. Meaning that there's other brothers and sisters who are running towards this prize, who are running towards this goal, who are actively moving toward uh, a faithful life and following after Jesus. And the invitation is, learn from them. But once again, we can have a tendency to be a people that say, I got it. You do you, I'm going to do me. What do you think, I'm, and I'm just curious, and we'll take, just, seriously, just a couple minutes, but what do you think it is that genuinely keeps us from learning from one another well? I'm just curious. I would love to hear any thoughts that you have, but what, what, what keeps us from learning from one another or imitating one another? Huh? Pride? Apathy? Ego? Yeah, I could never be like this. And so many of us think that imitating means eventually I have to be just like this. Yeah, that can keep us in the way. Yeah, yes. That's right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Laziness is a huge one, matches lack of intention. I think, I think, yep, yeah. Sometimes it's a practical reality, right? Like, I'm not actually even in the, if I'm not in the space, how can I learn? And especially since things have mo moved more individual, it, it can become harder and harder. Or we'll do this, I'm going to learn for others on my own. <laughs> There's a problem with that. <laughs> and part of it is that you were made to be in relationship with other people. You aren't made just to learn from somebody else. Guess what? Somebody else is made to learn from you. And every single one of you, because you've been made in the image of God, actually have something from somebody else to learn from you. 
I think one of the main areas in which we struggle to learn from others or are willing to do it is, is also trust. Some of you have had trust broken severely in your lives. Maybe somebody betrayed you. And we'll get here in a second as we see Paul with tears in his eyes. And I'm, I'm going I'm to push this a little forward. I, some of us, there are still aspects in the core of our being where we don't believe the gospel. That we actually don't think it's okay to declare like Paul says, I'm not, I'm not there. I haven't arrived. Some of us, deep down in our core, we, we have, and this, you guys have heard me say that, that anybody ever knew me, nobody could love me or follow me. Some of us don't believe in our, this is why that, that piece that we started with, the awe of Jesus is so important. Because if we believe in who Jesus is and if we believe in what Jesus says about me, now I don't have to be afraid any longer. Doesn't mean there won't be pain. It doesn't mean that I won't be hurt and it doesn't mean that I won't hurt other people. But what it does mean is that I have a father who's not going anywhere. What it does mean is I've got a family that's been purchased and is permanent and I've been fully adopted. And what it does mean is that I am completely known and loved and those things won't change. But what does it look like for us to grow and trust not just one another but primarily to trust the one who is trustworthy? Friends, there are many people in this room who are uh, wonderful followers of Jesus. And I don't know everybody, but I think I can say confidently, nobody in here has arrived. Nobody has fully made it. I've said many times before that we are all a hot mess in one degree or another. And I'm just grateful that it doesn't scare Jesus. And hopefully, by God's grace, it won't scare one another either. But if we're to learn from one another, it will come at taking a risk. But friends, it's so worth it. And it's needed. Because I've got blind spots. Steve's got blind spots. My wife has none. But, but we need it. And dad, you mentioned something that I just want to highlight it, and that's, uh, I think there's a discipleship myth out there that is like, there's this one perfect person out there who is made just for me, who will help make me, like, do the Dave Ramsey thing, who's going to help me love my spouse, or to learn how to do missional work in my job really well, and who's going to help me, like, eat right. I, there's this one perfect person, and that's just hooey. That person doesn't exist. Well, actually, it does exist in Jesus, but this is why Paul uses this word, the example of us. We are a body. None of us are the same member. And we all have different gifts. But like I said, it's going to take a risk with you asking or you just beginning to do. You don't even have to make it crazy formal like, hey, um, can I do this thing? I mean, you can do that. That's fine. But like, Let's start opening our eyes, being around each other, learning from one another. And when you learn something from somebody, let them know that you did. Okay. 
also join a community group. It's a great space to begin to hash some of these things out together. Alongside those lines, though, if we are going to get to know one another, to learn from one another, to be in those relationships, I, I've, I mentioned this already, but there will be pain, and Paul shows us this. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. There's no way around this, friends. Um, If you are going to walk together with people, we are going to hurt one another and there will be moments that are really sad. I want you to notice Paul's emotion. It's not, he's not angry. He's not yelling. He's not, how could they do this? He's with tears. Weeping over his friends. And yes, this is something that maybe should heighten our awareness and be, just check like, oh my gosh, am I getting drawn away by the cares and the pleasures of this world? I think that is a fine thing for us to look at. But what I want us to see here is that Paul actually knew people well enough who claimed Jesus, who eventually said, yeah, no thanks, and he walked away. But Paul still, like we've learned in Philippians, he was willing to pour his life out for these folks, even those that would say, yeah, no, I'm out. And I guess... I want to be careful here because I know there's some deep wounds, but I would so much rather us get hurt for caring to be able to weep over some than to be people who just continue to step further and further and further away. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I want to be close enough with people to weep when something hard happens. Or if somebody does walk away. I don't want it to be from a lack of intentionality. A lack of moving toward. Okay, so we've got to be a people who learn from one another. And then also trust that we need to be a people to be willing to be learned from. And I'll just make the addition. And this is from our wins and from our failures. But again, it will only happen if we trust Jesus because we can only confidently share. Not, I'm not sharing my sin so that you could revel in it. I'm sharing our life so that we can learn and grow together in it. Okay, so it can be painful. Good citizens, though, as we begin to wind down, they wait and trust. Mature citizens, mature followers of Jesus, we wait and trust. So just as we've had friends who have walked away and they've set their minds on earthly things and we weep and are sad, we are reminded of the truth. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await the Savior. We await a Savior, Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body 
by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Paul goes on to say in verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love, I just lo- I love and long for my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul is reminding his brothers and sisters in Philippi, friends, we operate differently. We live each day differently. We endure differently. We hope differently because we know that Jesus is coming back. We know that Jesus rose from the grave. Paul has this incredible apologetic in 1 Corinthians 15. If you are new to the church or new in exploring Jesus, go spend some time in 1 Corinthians 15. As Paul talks about the importance of Jesus no longer being dead but having been victorious over death. And that is what our hope lies in. In that victory over death, we now have confidence that too when we breathe our last breath, we will not rust away because our hope is not in earthly things but it is in our resurrected Jesus who will one day transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body because he's the one that is able to subject all things to himself. We wait and we trust Jesus. It doesn't mean by waiting that we do nothing. Philippians has been building this case all in all. God is the one in control. God is at work, but we join him in the work that he's doing. We don't wait passively, but we also are not anxious. I I just feel I have to speak to it a tiny bit because I've seen it um, make its way into people's hearts, minds, attitudes as they figure out their worldview, how to engage with this world. And I feel like there is this lie that, that, this is going to sound like a downer, but like, hey, you, you can change the world. You, and not only you can, but you are responsible to change the world. And as followers of Jesus, sometimes this can be magnified because we know who Jesus is. It's my responsibility that all, how many billion? Six point, eight point? Many. It's my responsibility that all of these people know about Jesus. And granted, we, if we study Paul's life, man, it is his ambition. It is Paul's ambition to proclaim the gospel where it hasn't gone before. It is Paul's ambition. It is God's desire to see all come to a saving knowledge of him. But it is not your responsibility, friends. We have a responsibility day in and day out to understand that God has created us with limitations. Some of us get 15 years. Some of us, as the psalmist says, 70 or 80 years. We don't know when that time is up. But what we do know is that we have today. We do know that by God's grace, we might get tomorrow. And that's why Paul stresses, make kind of the make every effort or strive toward this goal. Don't let tomorrow rob you or don't let yesterday rob you of what God might be pushing you toward tomorrow. We have this invitation to live a faithful life day by day, growing more in awe of Jesus. Learning from one another growing together, hoping and trusting and doing that right where I'm at 
And yes, God might call you to Costa Rica, or God might call you to Zimbabwe, or God might call you to Nepal. That's awesome. But friends, right now, this is the place where God has called us. Would we strive together, growing in maturity together, wherever you're at in that journey, that's totally fine, but let us do it together, moving step by step toward that goal, knowing that whatever might happen, my salvation that Jesus has promised me, it is not dependent upon whether or not I save X, Y, and Z people. It is about whether or not I have lived a life in response to King Jesus, who he is, his life, death, and resurrection, and that I have walked it, this life out together following him. Good Christian citizens, mature citizens, we wait, we trust and we do it all together. Worship team, you guys can come on up. I don't know for you this morning as we walk through some of these areas, what maybe, what, is there an area that you feel like, man, maybe God is putting his finger on. Maybe it's been a long time since I've been in awe of Jesus. Maybe the wonder, the delight has waned. And you're sitting here and, and you, are, you are actually living off of Maybe an experience you had when you were 14 or 12 or 16 or 18 in a good way. Maybe you had an experience where you're like, man, I just felt like the love of God was so present and it just blew me away and you're still living off of that moment. Maybe there's a, perhaps a fresh new moment in which the Lord wants to remind you of his amazing love. That way we can agree with the psalmist when he says, how our soul longeth after you. Maybe there's some serious issues of self-awareness. I would say this is a big issue in the West, in the church, and something we all need to constantly grow in. Maybe there's some fresh steps that you need to take with. Maybe, maybe it's another couple, or maybe it's a, a friend, or maybe it's so much. This, this journey of self-awareness is not great to do alone because that means that you are the one that decides what you're self-aware about, and sometimes it's a cyclical thing where it's like, oh, wait. I've got lots of blind spots, and you can't see them, and we need others to help. Along those lines, maybe you have found yourself dividing over non-central issues. What does it look like for the Lord to hone in in your life, in our lives together, of what is most central and being willing to genuinely hold these other areas that our world is screaming, make this the most important thing. Maybe we need to let some of those things go. And others we need to learn. We need to keep learning from one another. And then finally, maybe some of us aren't actually as excited about the future as Paul was. I didn't get to get in it all that much. But man, you guys, I don't know that we can hear it in his voice as much as it, I think it should be. Paul is excited about the future promise. Paul is excited for me to live as Christ. To die is gain. Paul is confident that if his life were to end, it would mean gain for him. There's confidence, excitement, and the promise of Jesus. I've said enough. Let us turn to the bread and the cup now. <clears throat>